folks it's thursday welcome back to the love your bible podcast hey my desire in this podcast is to help you love your bible because i really believe when you love your bible you will love god serve people and live a life that matters so there's a connection between loving god and loving your bible you can't love god if you don't love your bible and although you can read your Bible and not love God, um, hopefully you're connecting reading your Bible to worship, to getting to know the Lord. So as you read your Bible, you're a lot more likely to love God. And as you love God, you'll see in Scripture, He wants you to love your neighbor. So you're going to want to love people. And as you read your Bible and fall in love with your Bible, you're going to see people that serve others. So you're going to end up serving others and you're going to find that you live a life that actually matters. So love Loving your Bible is very important because we want to worship the right things. Because when you worship correctly, then your whole life goes correctly. So we want to love our Bibles so that we love God, serve people, and live a life that matters. Hey, we're going to do a little mini series because I was looking at the calendar and we have like four weeks till Easter. Now, not exactly Easter because four weeks from now we'll put us at a Thursday. Which is uh, the Lord's Supper, that that last supper that Jesus had with his disciples before Good Friday and Holy Saturday and then Resurrection Sunday. So we are getting ready to go into Holy Week, which is really, really important. So in four weeks, we'll be in Holy Week. And I thought um, we're going to be talking a lot about the cross and resurrection during Holy Week and just thinking about Easter. And so I want to go to a passage of Scripture that talks about the cross and what the cross means to us as believers. So what we're going to do is we are going to walk through Romans chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 20, and we're going to walk through verse 26. So we're going to do six verses over the next four weeks, and we're going to talk about a new righteousness, an old problem, God's salvation, and then God's righteousness. So today we're going to look at Romans chapter 3 verses 20 through 22 and we're going to talk about a new righteousness because here's the reality. You need righteousness. Like that's really your your biggest need as a human being. You need righteousness. And the reason is we're going to see next week is because you're part of an old problem. And the old problem is, well, you've sinned and you are a sinner. You're not righteous. You're not made right with God. So what you need and what I need is righteousness. So the question is, and this is one that Christianity answers better than any other world religion or philosophy, it's how do you get righteousness? How do you get that perfect life that you have to have to stand before a good and holy God? So we're going to look at two verses today that help explain how we get righteousness because righteousness is what we really need. So verse 20 of Romans chapter 3. Now Romans is one of those amazing letters in the Bible. So Paul's been doing a lot of things 
but he's just kind of walked through, hey, everyone's in trouble, both Jew and Gentile. You all should have known what to do, but you don't. You're all under sin, and everyone's in trouble. So he's kind of said that. We'll talk about a little bit more of that next week, but I want to get right to verse 20. Here's what it says. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That is a beautiful, beautiful set of verses. So let's just walk through those. So verse 20 starts off and says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So that little phrase, no human being, that includes you and it includes me. It includes everybody. So what Paul says is, hey, by works of the law meaning primarily for the listeners, the works of the law would be those Old Testament laws, the the Ten Commandments. Hey, if you take the laws of God and you try to obey them, if you try to make yourself good and perfect and holy through the law, if you try to make yourself right and righteous through the law, it's not going to work. No human being can do it. Why is that? Well, because we all mess up when it comes to trying to obey the law. So no human being will be justified in God's sight by works of the law. Now notice that will be justified, will be made right in his sight. So, so God is going to be the one who judges. God is going to be the one who sees all of our deeds and all of our works. And it says, hey, guess what? If you're relying on good works, you're in big trouble because there's no amount of goodness you can do to make yourself right with God. Like I remember one time I would have been in college and I'm going on a mission trip to Brazil and I'm in line with all of our team and It's just a giant line to go through customs. We're waiting. And I noticed there was a guy in front of me who he had the cap on and uh, he had uh, the tassels coming from uh, from his hair. And he was obviously a Jewish man and he, he, he had the dress. And as he's standing in line, he has the Hebrew Bible and he is reciting Hebrew scripture. And here I am, you know, a missionary going to Brazil. And I think my Bible's like maybe in my backpack. I'm not really sure. Like I'm in line goofing off. I think I'm looking at sports on my phone. And here's a guy who has his Hebrew Bible out and he is reciting the Torah. He is chanting scripture as he's in line to get on a plane. And so I watched the guy, I noticed the guy, he was a few ahead of me, so I couldn't really like talk to him, it'd been kind of awkward, so, but he sat a few rows back from me on the plane, and I noticed whenever the flight stewardess came through, he ordered a kosher meal, so he is maintaining the dietary restrictions that are set by the Old Testament, and I don't know, for a minute there, I thought, you know, 
is this guy closer to God than me? Because he's taking his life a lot more serious than I am. Like, I'm eating peanuts and crackers, and I've got like a ginger ale, and I'm not really thinking too much about what I'm drinking and eating. And in line, I was looking at ESPN, not reciting the Torah, and it just seemed like in that moment, this guy's a lot closer to God. Like God must love him more because he's eating right. He's drinking right. He's reciting scripture. He's doing more than I'm doing. But we see Paul would say, hey, when it comes to works of the law, when it comes to trying to please God by reciting scripture and memorizing scripture and eating the right things and drinking the right things and not doing the wrong things, that those are well, they're works of the law. And Paul says, hey, nobody's going to be made right by doing those things. It's not the things that we do. We're going to see it's what Christ has done for us. And then because he's done things for us, it's going to lead us to do things for him. But we see Paul, he's going to go right at the limitations of the law because or since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So the reason nobody's made right through the law is because the law is designed to show us, to teach us, hey, we can't do it. We have sin. So, I mean, just try it. Just like list out all the things that you should do, and they can be from the Bible or maybe just good things to do. Like, I should never yell at my kids. I should always be kind to my wife. I should always pick my towel up on the floor. Like, just list list the things of things that you know you should do, and then just, well, try to obey them. Try to always do them, and guess what? You're going to fail, and you're going to realize, oh, I'm not as good as I thought that I was, and that's exactly what Paul's saying. Hey, by works of the law, no one is made right. No one becomes righteous because it's the law that actually shows us we're sinful. Verse 21, but now. This is a beautiful, like, hey, we're all in trouble, but now. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So there's a way to get the righteousness of God that is apart from the law, that's not relying on the law. It's not relying on our efforts and our good works and how hard we strive to do the right thing. And then he just wants to clear up something. He says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So it is a righteousness that is not that it's apart from the law, but it's not against the law. Like the law is agreeing. The law is cheering this new righteousness. So it's not contrary to the prophets and the law. Instead, it's going to be the fulfillment of the prophets and the law. So what is this new righteousness? Verse 22 the righteousness of God. So there we have that that phrase. That's what we want. That's what we need. We need the righteousness of God. For you to stand in heaven for eternity, you need the righteousness not of yourself, not of your neighbor, not of your coworker. I don't need the righteousness of Corey because it is bankrupt. It is blemished. It is tarnished. What I need is the righteousness of God. So here Paul is saying the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There is the new righteousness. There is the better righteousness, the superior righteousness. So what we all need is righteousness. 
We all need the righteousness of God in our account. We need to be accredited righteous because we are bankrupt. We are hopeless. And Paul is saying, hey, it doesn't come through the law. It doesn't come through trying and working, but instead it comes through trusting another. Notice the righteousness of God through faith. What is faith? It's trusting. It's believing someone else. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, who is Jesus? Well, of course, he is the son of God. What did Jesus do? He came to this planet and took on the form of a man and he lived a perfect life. He did not sin. He is righteous before God. He is the righteousness of God. So how do we become righteous? We trust in Christ. And by trusting in Christ, we get his righteousness put into our account so that we stand before God, not in our righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. There is a better righteousness, a new righteousness that doesn't come from working really hard to get it, but instead by turning to another who already bought it for us, who already won it for us, and who is willing to give it to us. That's the good news. So when you think about we all need righteousness, I mean, this is so much of humanity's efforts is to get Right. When we all know we're broken in some way, so all of the world religions are built on this premise. How do we get right? We know we're broken. How do we make it all right? So you take any world religion, there is a path. There is a book. There are laws. There are certain things that you do and certain things that you don't do. And if you do the things you should and don't do the things you shouldn't, then you are considered a good person. You're considered righteous. So every world religion in one way or the other is trying to answer this question. How do we become righteous because we know we're wretched? (laughs) How do we get righteous? Well, you follow Allah or you follow his prophet Muhammad or you become a Buddhist or you are a new ager. Like there's all these different ways that you get it. But even in our secular society, we also see this glimmer of we all know we're wretched and we want to be righteous. So what is righteousness? Well, if you're political, it's agreeing with your political side. That makes you righteous. That makes you good. And it's those other people on the other side of the aisle. They are the vile. They are the the ones that who are, they are the evil ones who are unrighteous. So righteousness is just agreeing with your party and bashing The other party. So we can take it into politics. We can take it into um, just social um, norms or we're trying to get more progressive. So if, if you're progressive, then you're righteous. If you're not, then you're somehow bigots or you're not doing what's correct. And so we have all these ways that we try to get righteous. And it can even go down to the food that you eat. I don't I don't remember where I heard it from. I think I read it in a book somewhere, but I can't remember the reference. But um, the author uh, basically said that when you think about a culture that loses its sense of morality when it comes to like the big things, like let's say sexuality, there's there's a lot of morality that goes in sexuality. So when a culture loses all of its morality, where even in sexuality or gender, everything is just like, hey, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to think, whatever you want to feel, just go for it. And that's basically where our culture is. We have no morality when it comes to sexuality. 
But that same culture that would lose big morality then grabs hold of small morality like food. And so now we become a culture that's obsessed with, well, did you eat a burger? Well, was that burger grass-fed? Because it better have been grass-fed because if it had grain, oh no, that would be immoral. Or better yet, how about you get a plant burger? Because a plant burger means that there's there's no meat, so an animal would have to die. So what you really need is a plant burger. And if you eat plant burgers, then you are righteous and good and holy. If you eat meat, especially grain-fed beef, then, man, you're just a sinner. So you see how we get these categories of morality within our culture, even when we've lost all sense of morality, we're still moral people because we know we're wretched and we want to be righteous. So we just have other ways to become righteous. If you shop in the organic section, you are righteous. If you don't, then you are wretched. And we're going to judge you. We're going to look down on you. If we see you in the drive through of McDonald's giving your kids a Happy Meal, well, you're just wretched because you should have went to Whole Foods or at least Chick-fil-A. Then you would have been righteous. So we see the whole world, we are longing for righteousness. We know we're wretched. We want to be righteous and we will either try the path of religion. We will try the path of good works, philosophy, cultural norms, cultural projects, all these different ways just to feel righteous because we know deep down we're wretched. And Paul is saying, hey, you can't do enough good things to make yourself righteous because you're wretched. What you need is a better righteousness, a new righteousness, and it's found in Jesus Christ. You can have his righteousness by putting your faith and trust in him. Notice verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So who gets the righteousness of Christ? It's those who believe, not those who behave Not those who try, not those who get it right. No, it's those who believe. And what does it mean to believe? Believe is an action word. It means to put your faith and trust in Christ, to believe that when he died on the cross, he was dying for your sins. And when he raised from the dead, he was rising victorious over your sin to give you the gift of his righteousness so you could stand before God, not in your righteousness, but in his, in his holiness and in his goodness and in his perfect life. That, my friends, is the gospel. So as you think about, we're in March, but we're heading into April, we're heading into that Easter season where you're going to see a lot about a cross and an empty tomb. What is the purpose of the cross and the empty tomb? The purpose is you need a new righteousness because your old righteousness, no matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, it it falls short of the glory of God. And what we need is the righteousness of another. We need the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in to the Love Your Bible podcast. I hope this little portion of scripture has made you love your Bible more. And what I would encourage you to do, this would be so good for your soul, so good for your heart, so good for your mind, is I would encourage you over the next four weeks as you're anticipating Easter to commit these six verses to memory. 
This is one of the first little sections of scripture that I memorized, and it served me so well in sharing the gospel, thinking about the gospel, because I can just go to it in my head, and I can start reciting it, and I can't tell you how many times I've been jogging or walking or talking with somebody, and these verses come to mind. So what I would encourage you to do is write these on note cards, commit them to memory so that Easter Sunday you can, in the back of your mind, have this Rolodex of verses that's telling you the good story of the gospel. And in the moments of your life, when you need Christ, these will come to mind. So commit them to memory. It will help you love your Bible all the more because you're seeing how much Christ loved you. Well, hey, I hope that you've had that you're having a good Thursday. I hope uh, this has caused you to love your Bible more, and that by doing so, you will love God and serve people and live a life that matters. See you next Thursday.